love at first sight. It's a motif we have seen in culture since the advent of Cupid's arrows thousands of years ago. It has been played out on stage, on the cinema screen, and in the minds of young men and women as they go to bed every night. And why not? The hope that maybe tomorrow we'll bump into the one. Or you'll see them from across the street intersection. The idea at love, of love, at first sight, is so enticing. And we've all met that one couple where it's actually happened to. That one in a thousand moment where it actually worked. And we think, surely, it'll happen to me too. Just like that. That is what love is. It's bumping into a horse, being rescued, and running off, hoping that one day, fate, fate will find us again and bring us back together. The fact is, if you were to ask 12 different people on the street, what is love? All of them would have a different definition of what love is. And I can promise you it would much more look like what that naked baby man (laughs) propagates than what the Bible tells us it is. And we're convinced of it. Essentially, every love story you've seen your whole entire life, whether it's on the TV screen or cinema, reflects the love story of Cupid. The Greco-Roman myth of love is alive and well. And for many of you, it is kicking around in your hearts and your hopeless romantics, thinking that one day you two will be a prince or a princess, Sam. We're supposed to tell them that. Sorry. They already know, And with the divorce rate of about 33% of all first-time marriages, and the average person goes through two long-term relationships and heartbreaks before they find the person they want to marry, it's not including failed dates, short-term relationships, and the number of people you think have potential, which really, that's all they have is potential. This idea of love is unavoidable. Is it unavoidable? Unavoidable. Is Cupid's arrow something that will happen to you? Are you destined for heartbreak? Yes. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm not. I'm not gonna lie to you. Like, love is weird. Okay. Love is weird, and many of you will jump on Cupid's arrow for a ride even after going through this series, even if you've been counseled on 12 steps to date like a homeschooler, like even if you've gone through all these, like, not Cupid's arrow seminars, some of you are going to hop on that arrow for a ride because love is just weird. So let me start 
as we dive into this series called Killing Cupid to discuss first what this series is not going to be about. Because some of you are in like sixth grade and you're like, I haven't thought about a dating relationship yet, let alone the N-word, AJ, marriage, not meat. That's the other Swanson M-word, okay? Um, we love meat. Um, but th- let me tell you what it's not, okay? What Killing Cupid is not going to be. This is not going to be a how-to-date series, although there will be some dating advice. It naturally comes about when we talk about relationships. This is not going to be what to look for in a spouse series, although many of the principles you will be able to apply to that very topic. This will be a how-to-love series. This will be a how-to-love series. Because when it comes to love, the Bible has a lot to say about love. It talks about love a lot. So we should heed what it has to say. Um, So this is what we're going to be talking about the next few weeks. We are going to start this week out with the idea of why relationships. Why relationships? Look, why take the risk? Why jump in? What's the point? And in the weeks that following, we're going to cover this. How does God model relationships? That sounds like an easy one. That one's kicked my butt as I've studied this. You're going to hear about that next week. I am not looking forward to that talk. And it'd probably be a two-week talk at this point. And the next one is, how do we live it out? How do we, like, really love somebody? Because, like, some of the best dating advice I can give you now is stop focusing on searching for the one and start focusing on being the one that God would have you to be. Because a lot of times we're just on this hunt. Boys, if you need to separate, separate. Okay? So let's jump into relationships. We're going to spend some time in Genesis 1 and 2 today. If you want to jump there in your Bible, I'm going to open this up in prayer and then we're going to go. Father God, as we dive into this foundational topic of life, of who you've created us to be, Lord, I ask that you give us ears to hear. Lord, I ask that you would calm our hearts. Lord, I ask that you would train our hearts. And Lord, I ask that you would give us wisdom as we dive into this foundational, irritating, hard, lifelong battle of relationships that you have predestined us to, you have created us for. Lord, maybe see that in a fresh light. In your son's name, amen. So we're going to be jumping around Genesis 1 and 2. So if you're starting chapter 1, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Chapter 1 is the first chapter of the Bible. Verse 26 is the 26th verse. Um, So we're going to start there. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of the God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruits. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant of food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. We're going to jump to chapter 2, verse 15. So chapter 2, if you've never been there before, it's kind of a rehashing of chapter 1. Chapter 1 is really broad. Chapter 2 gets narrower on how it focuses. It's not a retelling, but if you look at ancient texts, this is how they tell stories. They go wide, and then they shrink into narrow. Okay? Chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep him. Man, I could do a whole sermon on that. Right? We got a job. Work it. Keep it. Mm. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's a decent commandment, right? Then the Lord God said, It is not good. It is not good. It is not good. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds, to the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was found uh, there was not found a helper fit for him. I mean, just imagine Adam in the garden. I love this Vodibachum. It's such a great moment on his Love and Marriage series. He's got Adam in the garden. He's looking around. He goes, okay, that's a he giraffe and she giraffe. That's a he elephant and she elephant. It's a he gorilla and she gorilla. God, I think I'm missing something. I just got me. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made <laughs> women. The Hebrew word here is fashioned. God made man. He fashioned woman. That's why y'all look so much better than us. It's biblical. Fashioned into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, mm, mm, mm. He goes into prose. He busts into poetry. Man, that's how you should engage your women. Wow. This is the last of the, that. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha, woman, because she was taken out of man. Mm. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There is a lot we could pull from here, right? Like, we could do a whole sermon series on just this topic. And I want to do it today in a story form. It's going to be, I'm going to be kind of giving you an overall view and narrative. I want to talk about a guy named Danny. Now, look, Danny isn't real. 
Okay, so as I'm going through these instances with Danny, don't be like, man, Danny's pretty cool. Or like, man, Danny's messed up, okay? Danny doesn't exist. But I can promise you, I've had all these conversations with students over now almost 12 years of doing student ministry. So while this isn't Danny, this is real life happenings. Okay? So as we dive into Danny's story, remember these three things from the text of Genesis. These three things. Let me check your yak sheet. I think these are the first three things. These are the first three things for your yak sheet. Fill in the blank. Number one, it is not good for man to be alone. Mm-mm. It is not good for man to be alone. Two, God fashioned us for relationships. Fashioned us for relationship. He didn't just make us out of clay and be like, there you go. But for us, he literally fashioned, he designed, he had creative influence into not just you as creation, but into the relationship that you would have. Three, we know from the rest of the story, if you've spent any time in church, we know from the rest of the story in Genesis that the fall immediately breaks relationships. You get on later in Genesis 2. That woman you gave me made me eat it. That's called a two-for-blame shift. Adam doesn't take the blame. That woman you gave me. Stuff immediately screws up quick. Genesis 2. And the outcome of the fall led all the way to the excuses that we have today of why we choose not to engage in relationships. So let's dive into the story of Danny. I'm so fed up. I hate it when dad doesn't acknowledge me. He doesn't care about my opinion when I offer it. He steamrolls for me if the opinion is different than his. He treats me like some complete and utter idiot, and I hate him for it. Well, what can I do? Leave? Just walk out? I mean, that's what he deserves. But what would that do to mom? She'd be so scared for me. I mean, I could just tell her that I'm going over to a friend's house, but she'd tell dad because she can't lie to him. She loves him too much. Why does she love him? I mean, he treats you great, but he treats me like dirt. Just want him to ask some real questions and maybe take the time to listen to some real answers. Ever felt like that? With a parent or a sibling or a friend? Like they aren't listening? Or even further, like they don't care to listen. So it's not just that they aren't listening, but they, they honestly, willfully just don't care to you. It hurts, right? Especially when it is someone like a parent who, by obligation of being your family, should listen. A guy named Danny feels that way, and those are his words. He isn't just in a bad relationship, though. He has good things to say about his friend Brian. This is what Danny says about Brian. Brian is the best. We've been best friends for three years now. He just gets me. We love the things, same things, good music, football, Palio's Pizza, where we're almost every day after school. And he understands what I'm going, to, going through with my dad. I mean, he has the exact same problem. I mean, he probably has it worse. His mom isn't even in the picture. But at least his dad is rarely home, so he can kind of do whatever he wants. I really don't think I could have gotten through these last two years without him. Someone who gets me, who's willing to listen. You ever have a friend like that? They've just been with you through it all. Like, you... You click. It's easy. A confidant. Someone to turn to when there's just trouble. 
And some of you have other friends that you would consider closer. You've had these before. Danny has a girlfriend named Heather. Heather is amazing. I mean, she's pretty, she's smart, she's funny. I definitely wouldn't have passed pre-cal without her. We've been dating for about a year now. My mom thinks she's really nice. My dad could care less. He tolerates her being around. And she is around a lot. I think I love her. Some of you might have been in that relationship just like that. Or some of you probably desire a relationship just like that. Somebody to love, just like the movies or books or TV shows. (coughs) Dating relationships, especially in our culture, especially in the Greco-Roman myth of love culture that we live in, we are convinced are the best thing going. Most magazines for adults are dedicated to relationships in some form or another. Most magazines for teens are dedicated to relationships in some form or another. Especially these dating ones. Fact is, all of us are in some sort of relationship. All of us are in some sort of relationships. And why? This is your first fill in the blank. Or the next one. And that is, we are made for relationships. We're made for relationships. It's rehash Genesis, right? On day one, through fiber creation, God made a myriad of things. And the end of each day, he went... That's good. That's good. That's good. And finally, he made man. And when man realized he was alone after naming all the animals, God, for the first time in Scripture, in Genesis 2.18, says something wasn't good. Something was lacking. So while man slept, he created woman. And the first human relationship was created. But why did God make relationships at all? Why couldn't it have been like, well, you know, it's just better off that you're alone. You're a higher being than all the other creatures. Why? Why? God can do anything he wants, right? We know that logically and philosophically and theologically isn't completely accurate. But if he can make choices, why did he? Why didn't he just make us be alone? I think it's clear if you know God. God, this is the next one on the blank, is a relational God. God is a relational God. That's weird. That doesn't make any sense, ain't you? Let me break it down. Notice the noun in Genesis 126. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. A lot of plurals happening there, right? Us, our. Look, we believe in a triune God. That God is one being in three persons. It's a mystery about how that works, but we know that that is the essence of God. The essence of God is a relationship. Who God is at his very core, is a relationship. And so we are made in the image of God, therefore we will be made relationally. But that is where the fall has tampered with us. Sin entered the world and really messed with our relationships, messed up how we care for each other, messed up how we love, and it messes up how we love family, friends, and significant others. And it messes up how we love God. So let's go back to the story of Danny. As you can imagine with Danny, 
Relationships hit road bumps. All relationships hit road bumps. Okay? Sometimes you feel like relationships haven't been good for a very long time. We already know Danny, his family love, is rocky with his father. <coughs> Last week, though, Danny hit a rough patch with his best friend Brian. What the heck? Brian completely blew me off. Well, he said he forgot, but I was outside of school waiting for him to pick me up for over an hour. He couldn't hear his phone because he was over at some friend's house playing Destiny with the speakers on high. Dude has no regard for someone else. I'm a real human being. Let me know when you're going to be late and stop being so selfish. Some relate, sometimes in relationships, someone withdraws more than they've deposited. Do you know what I mean by that? The amount of time you've invested into a relationship, it's like this relational capital, monetary. And sometimes people over-withdraw. They take out more than they put in. And you immediately feel like that they're in your debt. That's how Danny felt with his friend Brian. He felt like he had removed all the stuff he put in the bank. And it left him feeling empty, like he was worthless. And maybe you felt that way before. It gets worse, okay? Once Danny walked home from school that day, he got an email from Heather. This was his response. An email? You tell me we can't hang out this weekend via email? No call, no text. You just saw me five times at school today. Why didn't you tell me you were going to a concert with your friend then? And what is this about not being able to hang out the next day because you have stuff to do? Why is she being so ambiguous, so indirect? You have stuff? Does she not like me anymore? Now come to think of it, the five times we saw each other today... She barely said anything to me and didn't look me in an eye. An email? This is so 2008. (laughs) Look, dating relationships at rough patches, too. You see it in the movies all the time. It's called Act Two. Someone breaks up with someone else. Someone you have a crush on begins to pull away from a relationship. Sin has screwed up all types of relationships. So the question we have to ask, the question we have to ask is the next fill in the blank. That's this. Just why bother? Like, why bother? If it's going to hurt, right? If statistically you're going to go through two major heartbreaks before you find someone you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And those are just the major ones, right? Like, those aren't all the ones leading up to the major ones. Like, why just, why bother? I mean, it's, the main re- it's one of the main reasons that people are pushing back the marriage age so much. Because so many guys are getting hooked to like a video game. Well, the video game kind of fulfills everything for me. I don't really need a woman. I just go into my fantasy world. Sorry, ladies. They can control the person on the other end of the joystick. They can't control you. So why take the risk, right? Why engage in relationships with family if... You know at some point they won't do what they are supposed to do, which is have your back, look out for you, train you. Why take the risks in friendship if you know and I know and everybody knows that at some point they are going to disappoint you? 100%. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to hurt you. These are some of the reasons introverts run from relationships, although they definitely don't have a corner on the market. Just because you're an introvert doesn't mean you're the only one that runs from relationships. 
Wouldn't it be easier to limit risk? Hide behind some screen so you don't have to stare someone in the eye to communicate, even though most of the time we already do that. But limiting risk is something we naturally do, especially if we've already been hurt. If we've already been hurt once, we do this in spades. Or, or, or if we're uncomfortable with risk. We don't even like risk. We limit potential for refusal, for denial, and for rejection. We limit potential for refusal, for denial, and rejection. So we don't engage in friendships or relationships. I want you to hear the next part. It's the next fill in the blank. I'm going to say it like three times. So I want you to hear it the first time. <coughs> out. Okay? But in the process of limiting relationships, so in the process of limiting risk, we refuse, deny, and reject the value of those around us. In the process of limiting risk, we refuse, deny, and reject the value of those around us. They aren't worth our time, our affection, our value. Why? Because they don't meet our standards, our high moral ground, or our understanding of what a quality person is. We immediately read a book by its cover and place it on a shelf that we deem most important. Don't you get it? When you limit risk by running away from interaction, you are telling others exactly how you feel about them. When you say, I just can't risk it. I'm not going to engage with that person. You are telling them you're not worth my time. Your value is nothing to me. That is what you're literally, they they literally aren't worth your time. Have you ever felt belittled by somebody? Have you ever felt hurt by someone? Have you ever felt like a nobody? Look, we all hate it. But we will do it in a heartbeat to another person. If there is an ounce of us being uncomfortable. Yeah, I can't talk to them. Just not comfortable doing it. I can't even acknowledge their existence. Not even a high will suffice. By by intentionally ignoring potential relationships, we intentionally tell other people you're not worth it. And if we're a Christian, we communicate that as well. Many of us are so used to doing it intentionally that we now do this very thing passively. We don't even realize we're doing it anymore. Because we're so focused on ourselves and being comfortable, we don't even realize that we're immediately putting people on a shelf away from us so that we can limit risk. Are you one of those people? 
who have crossed the line from doing this intentionally to just passively. You don't even realize you're doing it. I know I do it. We don't even realize we do it because it's all about our comfort or our fear of getting hurt. What excuses do you make to not even say hi? How many opportunities to be Christ to our neighbors have we missed because of that excuse? AJ, but what of those who have hurt us? What of those who have betrayed us, let us down? Are we supposed to who are supposed to love us but never take the time and energy to do so. Those who have left a pain so deep in our hearts that to forgive them wouldn't be just, it wouldn't just be just, it would be foolish. Those people hurt us over and over and over again with no regard on how it makes us, you feel. How it affects how you look at yourself in the mirror. Look, remember Danny? Danny has been hurt by tons of people around him. Um, Danny has been hurt by tons of people around him, his family, his friends. You could justify that he has every right to look his friend Brian in the mirror and say, stay, step off. You could justify that he has every right to look Heather in the eye the next day he sees her at school and says, step off. He sent me an email. Like, we could justify that, right? But Danny's been on the other side of that, too. Guess what? Danny is a man, and therefore, Danny is a sinner. Women, you do it, too, Okay. He hasn't always been the best son, the best friend, or the best boyfriend. Danny has a friend, as Danny has a friend and has known him as long as he can remember. They've been neighbors for years. Whenever Danny has a problem, he has gone to his friend's house to get away. When Danny's father exploded at his mother, Danny hid at his friend's house for the night. His friend didn't question his decision. He simply hid him in his room, gave him his own bed to sleep on while he slept on the floor. That day, Brian forgot to pick up Danny at school. It was his friend who met him on the way home and walked with him the rest of the way. It was the friend who told him he was valued, told him that Brian, what Brian did was wrong, and even helped mend the relationship after it happened. When Heather dumped Danny, his friend came over and comforted him, told him that tomorrow would come, that the pain would heal. But Danny couldn't hear his friend that day. His friend's voice was lost somewhere in between the pain of rejection from somewhere he, someone he loved. His friend was awesome, always looking out for him, always challenging him, always willing to be heard and bend over backwards for him. But Danny wasn't a good friend to him. When Danny started a dating relationship, he would typically forget about his friend for months until he needed that friend. Extroverts, we tend to do this. We'll talk about this later. Um, This is an aside, but how many times do we treat friends like a commodity? Okay, I need you right now, so I'm going to give you a call. I know I've done that. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks. To not lose face with the sports team, Danny would be quiet when they mocked his friend. But Danny's friend loved like Christ. His friend caught Danny beating the crap out of the kid who started dating Heather behind the gymnasium. That's a true story. Danny was all bloodied from the pounding, and he had given Heather his new boyfriend. He had actually surprised himself that he could do that to another individual. His friend said that he would take care of the guy, that Danny should just go clean off himself before someone else saw him. His friend was caught holding the guy Danny had beat up, and instead of coming forward to defend his friend and take responsibility, Danny sulked to the back, and his friend took the responsibility for Danny's actions because he was the one caught holding the bloody guy. His friend was kicked out of school, and his friend took the punishment. Now, some of you clearly get the analogy, right? Like, Danny's Danny's friend was Christ. And while this is a fictional story, Danny might be an exasperated analogy. We are quick to find excuses to deny friendships. And we are even more quick to find excuses when Christ calls us to them. 
Like we already have our own excuses. And then we look at Christ calling us to relationships, and then we're really quick to be like, oh, okay, we're going to skip that verse. Remember, one, we were made in the image of God. Two, God by his very nature is relational. Three, if we are to reflect God, we will be relational. If we are to reflect God, we will be relational. That's going to look different to each one of you because you have different gifts and stuff. But it will all include relationship. None of you get to be monks. You're not called to that. Okay? So why relationships? This is your last fill in the blank. Why relationships? Because it's exactly what God made us for. This is what God made us for. To work the fields. To name things. To create. And to be in relationship with one another throughout the whole process. Look, people don't just... I love this phrase. People don't don't join a church because it's friendly. No one joins a church because it's friendly. Everyone joins a church to make friends. There's a difference. So start the process today and get to know the people around you. Look, we talked about this two weeks ago. If we're going to be a community that's about multiplication about looking outside of ourselves, we must be a community that takes relational risks seriously and don't wait for Cupid's arrow to strike. We have to step into our fear, into our uncomfortableness. We have to risk. It's why we are starting the year out with a series on relationships. We should strive to be a community that doesn't just let people in, but invites them in. See the difference? Look, I have to do this better. This is not just preaching to you. I have to do this better. And I think we need to do, well, I think we all need to do this better. So let's talk about this more in transformation groups. How do we do this 